0: you haven't had a chance to look at the lesson from last week, I encourage you to do that. Uh, the topic of the lesson or the title of the lesson is Nothing Can Compare, and it's a lesson on wisdom. The book of Proverbs is really all about wisdom, and so um, this is a foundation for everything that will be taught in the, in the course, um, in the lessons that follow. So I encourage you to, to go back and catch that if you haven't had a chance to do that. Just by way of reminder and review, let's talk about some of the things that we learned last week as we studied wisdom in Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. Wisdom speaks in those chapters 1 through 9 either as a father speaking to his son or as a wise woman calling out to people in the marketplace to come and listen to her. The foundation for wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is always true and never perverse. Wisdom is like a precious jewel. Nothing can compare to her. Wisdom was the first of God's creation. Wisdom promises that those who seek her will find her. Wisdom calls from the streets, the public square, and the gates of the city. In other words, It's in the mainstream of life, not just in church or in Bible study, but in the marketplace. It's calling to us and saying, I've got something for you here. Folly also calls from the marketplace. And that's our topic for this week, folly. That's um, the great contrast to wisdom in chapters 1 through 9 is folly. And whereas wisdom is portrayed both as a father and a wise woman, folly is portrayed um, as a woman, as a, um, an unwise woman who's calling out to unwise people to come and listen to her. And so um, let's take a look at that first script- scripture passage in chapter 9, verse 13 through 15. So, whereas wisdom called from the marketplace, where is folly calling from? Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. So she's in the same place as wisdom. She's also in the marketplace. She's at a high point of the city, trying to make her voice heard to everyone who goes through the city. And she's calling in uh, several ways. There are two ways, primarily, that the writer of Proverbs uh, emphasizes in those first nine chapters uh, that folly uses to call out. And one is exploitation. And then the second is adultery. We're going to look at. Uh, the first of those first, and that's uh, the exploitation. Let's start by reading uh, Proverbs 1, 11 through 14. So uh, the voice of exploitation uh, will sound like this. Come along with us. Let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. And so that's the voice of exploitation, calling out to, um, to someone without wisdom to join in with that sort of emphasis. And we're all called to with that voice. It's the voice that says, it's my gain and it's your pain. But the scripture teaches us something quite different than that. And so I'd like for us to look at Leviticus 19.13. In the law, God said this, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Now that would be similar to the Ten Commandments that says, um, you shall not steal and uh, you shall not commit murder. But look at the second part of this. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. I think of business practices today. One of the practices of many businesses is to hold back checks that are due subcontractors until the very last possible moment that they can get away with it legally. That gives them the ability to use that money, even though it belongs to someone else. Well, in the scripture, it says, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. In other words, as he does his work, pay him at the end of the day. That was especially important in the culture of the ancient world, where, where the common workers pretty much worked during the day to be able to buy food that night. And uh, if they didn't get their wage, they wouldn't eat that night. It's not maybe quite as uh, severe as that today, although in some cases it would be. But the principle is the same. God is saying to us, don't hold back the wages of a hired worker. If you have it in your power to pay that person, pay them immediately. We should always be looking in... Um, Our business dealings with people for a win-win. It's not my gain, your pain. It's how can we make this a win for you and a win for me? As a a business person or just as a private citizen doing business with people, I need to ask myself always the question, how can I make this not only a, a good deal for me and my family, but how can I make it a good deal for the person? for whom I'm doing business with. When you sell a car or you buy a car and you know the person has to sell and so you offer them a deal that is so um, ridiculously uh, poor for them, but you know that they, they have to get rid of it, they have to unload it. You have them over a barrel, so to speak. And so you go for it. You go for the juggler. It's legal, it's fine. But what does God say about that? I think God is saying, make it a win for them as well as for you. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7, 12. We call this the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I'll never forget um, the last house that we sold uh, before we moved to Missouri. Uh, We we uh, had a realtor that we knew. He was a personal friend, and, and uh, he helped us set what we felt was a fair price for the area that we were in and for the house that we had. Um, we weren't trying to gouge anybody, but we, did, we, we uh, carefully thought about what a fair price was, and we, um, we listed the house for that price. Um, the people that bought it gave us what we asked for. And it was like, we didn't have to wrangle. We didn't have to fight and squabble and counter offer and offer and all this sort of thing. Um, We we did what we felt was right. And they evidently did what they felt was right. And they accepted the offer. And it was a a very peaceful and uh, a good transaction. Later, we found out that the the people who made the offer on our house were believers. In fact, they attended our church. Didn't know that going into it. But um, what a great deal that um, both they and, and hopefully we were concerned not only about our own um, well-being, but about the well-being of the people that we were dealing with. So um, the principles from God's word are the opposite of the exploitation that folly uses to to call out to people. And it's so common today. My youngest son is a journalist, and he works for a legal magazine, and his beat, so to speak, what he reports on is white-collar crime. Do you think he ever runs out of things to report on? Hardly, hardly. The courts are packed with white-collar crime cases companies and individuals trying to take advantage of other people, listening to the call of folly, saying, exploit other people. Take them to the cleaners. Do something for yourself. That's all that matters. Get it for yourself and don't worry about the other person. That would be totally contrary to the voice of wisdom, which speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, and through the written word, telling us, whatever you would have someone to do to you, you do also to them. Okay, that's the voice of exploitation. The other voice that folly uses to call out to us, um, and this is a big one, is the voice of adultery. Because the voice of adultery is such a, a powerful lure particularly to a young man, and really to to anyone, Uh, the prohibitions in Scripture were also very strong, and the warnings were very strong. And in the book of Proverbs, in these first nine chapters, the writer uh, gives some very strong reasons not to fall or not to listen to that voice. Of adultery as folly calls out from her high place in the city and says, You know, come, this is good stuff. Uh, But the voice of wisdom speaks in these words. But before we hear the voice of wisdom, let's listen to the voice of folly as she speaks about adultery. And this is Proverbs 7, verses 10 through 20. Then, Out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute. And um, let me just say this, that uh, the writer is describing a young man who has um, gone out at night down in the uh, district of where the prostitute lived, or this this woman of ill ill repute. So let's read it again. Then came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows. I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you and look for you. And I have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. And so that's her voice. Oh, it's strong. It's alluring. And she probably looks good under the dark light of evening. And... A a tremendous temptation to this young man. And so, because the allure is so strong, God wisely inspired these strong warnings. And I'd like you to just uh, read with me some of the warnings that um, the writer of Proverbs gives us. First of all, chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. This is what he says about this woman, adultery, as she calls out. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Hmm. Serious warning, serious warning. Just basically saying everything about the end of this encounter is going to be death. Okay, let's go to chapter five, verses three through five. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, as we just read. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Can you just see the the difference from the picture that's portrayed up front? In the end, it's like she's driving a sword into his body and she's leading him straight to the grave. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 26 through 35. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not escape a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse a bribe, however great it is. The writer is saying um, just how foolish to get involved with someone else's wife, or even in the case of someone else's uh, girlfriend, if there's not marriage involved, how many of our crimes that are domestic crimes are committed over something like this, where someone else has moved in on someone's wife, and the husband is out for revenge, and doesn't even value his own life, and kills the, the uh, person that's committing adultery and, and suffers the consequences. It happens over and over again. And the writer is just saying the foolishness of getting involved with someone else's wife. And then, the chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. Speaking of this adulterous woman, he says, Many are the victims she has brought down, her slain are a mighty throng, her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. My goodness, we've been painted a true picture of the end of adultery and fornication, uh, illicit sexual relationships between single people. And so um, whatever the allure, whatever the temptation, say no, resist the end of it is death. The end of it is pain. It does not bring pleasure. The pleasure is very small and very fleeting. And so the writer, uh, I think, portrays what is the very best in sexual fulfillment. And he describes that in the middle of this uh, chapters, these nine chapters, one through nine. I'd like for you to take a look at two verses now in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. So he's talking about um, staying with your wife, the one God leads you to when you were young, of staying with that person. Notice what he says. May your fountain be blessed. And fountain is a word for your spouse or your wife. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Now, that kind of a relationship is something that has to be nurtured. It doesn't just happen. Um, God may give you a beautiful person as a wife or as a husband. But for that kind of an attitude to be a lifetime attitude, it needs to be cultivated and developed. And next week in the lesson, we're going to be dealing with that subject thing. I would encourage you to um, watch again next week as we um, delve into that a little bit more of how to develop that kind of a relationship over a lifetime. Jesus made it clear that Adultery is something that we commit, can commit, not only physically, but we can commit it in our minds as well. Um, and so, it's important that we guard our minds, and we guard our eyes, and we guard our hearts. I'd like you to look at some scripture that I think is really valuable in this way. In fact, If you have a pen and could jot down these scriptures, I would encourage you to do so. I keep these on my phone because when I need to, um, when I'm confronted with a temptation, I'd like to be able to go to that scripture right away. And I have these in a place where I can find them quickly. The first one is a scripture about guarding your eyes. Let's go to Job 31.1. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Have you made that covenant with your eyes? Uh, Particularly for a a man, a young man or an old man. Um, Have you made the covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at not only a young woman, but any woman? Uh, That would be something to do today before you go to bed. And for a woman, perhaps it's not Uh, quite the same. But you might be saying more, I've made a covenant with my mind not to think romantic thoughts about someone who is not my husband. And so you make that covenant as well today before you go to bed. Um, A very important thing for a man especially, to keep his eyes um, from looking lustfully at another woman. Remember that that woman is someone created in the image of God. And God has told us that, he, that man looks on the outward appearance, but that God looks on the heart. And if we were wise, we would be doing the same thing, not just scanning women's bodies, but looking at the inner person and seeing what God sees and values the most. Okay, let's go to um, Philippians 4.8. The other thing that we need to guard, and we've already alluded to this some uh, for uh, women in their thoughts, is we all need to control our thoughts. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So Paul is encouraging us not to let our thoughts go astray, not to fantasize about what it would be like to be in a relationship with that person or what would it be like to make love to that person, uh, to, to cut that off at the mind and never let it develop beyond uh, not even a thought. If it comes as a thought, to commit it to God and make the decision to uh, never think about it again with the Lord's help. And so that's uh, keeping our minds where they need to be. The last thing would be Proverbs 4.23. This is from the passage that we're dealing with this week, these chapters one through nine. And again, in the middle of that, this most profound statement, which is so important to all of life. And the writer says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so we need to guard our hearts. Our hearts need to be set on good things. They need to be set on the Lord. We need to be aware of everything that pleases him and those things that displease him and keep away from the things that displease him and gravitate to what pleases him. This is what the fear of the Lord is all about. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom. And so if we would be wise and if we would seek that rare jewel of wisdom and if we would find it, we're going to have to guard our hearts and make sure they're avoiding what is displeasing to God and embracing everything that is pleasing to him. Let's just um, end the contrast today between wisdom and folly. Um, folly calls out, and there is a degree of um, appeal to folly. Uh, in fact, a lot of appeal to folly. And let's, let's look at the appeal of folly. Let's go to um, Proverbs 9:17. When it boils down to it, As folly makes her call at the top point of the city, as she calls out as loud as she can, this is her main call. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. Do you get that? It's kind of like the voice of Satan um, in the Garden of Eden when Eve said, you know, we can eat of all these trees, and, but if we eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, we'll die. And Satan says, you won't die. And here, through folly, he's saying, stolen water is sweet. Well, God has told us that anything that's stolen is going to bring pain to our lives, particularly if we steal the favors of another person's wife or husband. That's going to bring incredible pain. And and yet folly is screaming out from the the rooftops. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Well, there is a degree of truth in what folly says because there is a period of time when it's sweet. It may be a millisecond. It may be a few seconds or a minute or days or weeks. But eventually it turns to bitterness, and in the end, it leads to death. I like to compare the, the lure of folly to that of a candy bar. So folly's calling out and saying, um, come to me and get a candy bar. What does wisdom call out? What is the, what is the real lure of wisdom? Look with me at chapter 8. Proverbs eight thirty five. Look at this. This is just amazing. And we don't even have to read both lines. Read just the first line. For those who find me, find life. For those who find me, find life. Are you going to choose a candy bar that folly has to offer? Or are you going to choose life? That wisdom has to offer. And then wisdom speaks also and says, not only will you find life, but you'll receive favor from the Lord. So um, here they are today. Both have called to us in these nine chapters of Proverbs 1 through 9. And uh, Folly has called out and said, exploitation. Exploitation. Your gain, their pain, it's all about you. And it said, adultery, stolen water is sweet. Take this candy bar, you'll love it. And how long will it last? And wisdom calls out and says, those who find me find life. And wisdom isn't talking just about life on this earth. Although primarily, I think, but is talking about life everlasting. Those who find me really find life. Those who find me find a lifetime of true love with a person that God has joined them with and they receive favor from the Lord. Which do you want, the candy bar or do you want life? Hallelujah, I'm gonna choose life and I think you are too. I'd like you to do something over the next several weeks. As we're in the book of Proverbs, we're going to go, be going into what I would call Proverbs proper, uh, chapters ten through thirty-one. And um, Proverbs is basically made up of short statements, uh, two-line statements that often have a contrast between good and evil, or um, you know, some some. Uh, characteristic that's good and some characteristics that's bad, Or, uh, but I'd, what I'd like you to do is to begin to read the book of Proverbs and make a, a plan for yourself. Uh, we'll probably be in um, this section of Proverbs maybe another uh, nine weeks or so, and if you could just over the next nine weeks make sure you've read it all. Uh, that could be um, you know, a chapter a week or a, couple, a chapter a day. Um, one of the benefits I think of Proverbs is to, maybe after you've read a larger section of it, go back and pick out a, a smaller section and just focus on the truth of that one section and spend some time on that. You won't, you won't get to meditate on all of it in depth, but if you can take a, a few nuggets that really meant something to you and meditate on them, that would be great. So read some larger sections and then out of those sections, pick out a nugget or two and meditate on those and do that every week. And that will really enhance our study as we talk together uh, through the book of Proverbs. Thank you so much, have a great week.